Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Okay, what did I say? Luke 18? All right, guys, I'm officially starting now. I guess you can hit the record button on it. Um, I don't have a good sermon today. I just have something that's on my heart. I, I say that I felt like the last couple of weeks I had a good sermon. I enjoy public speaking. It could be a hobby of mine. I'd probably do it even if it wasn't about Jesus. But Jesus is my favorite thing, so I'm going to do it. Um, I like to have real well-polished sermons that are nice. I don't have that today. What I have today is just something that's on my heart that I'm just going to talk about. And so you can just run with it today. And um, so if you're someone that sometimes enjoys a good sermon, man, I'm with you. I'm with you, heart and soul. This might not be that day, but if you're someone who enjoys authenticity and uh, just I just wanted to tell you something that's on my heart as a pastor of this congregation. That's it. That's my only goal for today. And uh, that Jesus be glorified in it. In Luke chapter 18, there's this story starting in verse 18, and it says this. It says, And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. I'm a good person, Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Like it strikes me right now that this, this man had no clue what he was missing out on. And when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I just want to say for those who have studied this, that translation there, it could be translated a lot of different ways, but the meaning of it, no matter which way you slice it, is that it's hard for these kinds of people to go to heaven. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? <laughs> but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter says, see, we've left our homes and followed you. We've left everything. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. 
And then in verses 31 through 34, he's going to predict his death and resurrection. And not just a simple death, but a flogging, a beating. He says they're not going to understand what he says. But then there's another story that goes after this. He says, as he drew near to Jerusalem, in verse 35, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front, of, in, in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and it doesn't stop there. It says this, and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Here in this chapter, we have two stories about two men. One who had everything and one who had nothing. One who Jesus he, he sought Jesus out. He went looking for Jesus to find out what he could do to have eternal life. And Jesus gave him an invitation to follow. But because the man had a lot, because he liked his present condition, He leaves sad because he didn't want to give up what he had. And it's almost unfair because it's like, I mean, he went looking for Jesus. Like, he went looking for him. You think Jesus would have been a little nicer? And then you fast forward to this next section, and, and I really believe that that passage there in verses 31 through 34 are actually part of still that story of the rich young ruler about Jesus predicting his death and resurrection. You see, what he's saying is this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. And then we see this man who has nothing. A blind beggar who didn't go looking for Jesus. He couldn't. He was blind. And Jesus just happens to come across him. And he's desperate. And this desperate man... Says Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And people told him to shut up. And he didn't shut up. Like he's desperate. 
unlike the rich young ruler, as we call him, who wasn't desperate. He was content with what he had, but this man was desperate, and no amount of shut up was going to stop him. And so he cries out all the more, and, and Jesus asks him, what do you want? What do you want? Which is kind of, you know, I'm blind. What do you think I want? He says, I want to see. And, and Jesus' response is, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. You believed in what I could do for you, and it's made you well. Whereas this rich young ruler, he did not have faith in what Jesus, he had faith in himself. What, what I hate is, like for us, and, and make no mistake in this room today, even the poorest among us are rich compared to the rest of the world. Every single one of us, I've, I've had the opportunity in my life to travel to somewhere around 30 different countries. And what we have here, even in, in one of the more rural, more poor communities in, in America, is, is still one of the nicest places in the world. We, we are rich. And what strikes me is sometimes... The things we get involved in are nothing more than idols of ourselves to ourselves. We worship ourselves. We worship ourselves. I, I, I mean, this is, this is me talking about me. And if we can maybe get past that for just a moment, then we move to the place where we want other people to worship us. And I get it, not like worship not bowing down to one another. But like we're so concerned with the opinions of the people around us. And it affects every decision we make. It's not about what does the Lord think about this decision. It's what will he think about this? What will she think about this? And, and it's, it's worshiping ourselves or trying to get other people to worship us in whatever we state we find ourselves in and the lord he wants a desperate people i i have a friend um david brockman some of you know some of you don't he's he's he disciples me he's he's the guy i follow right um he's the guy that calls me out of my crap he's the guy i'm open honest and vulnerable to um he knows all the good stuff. He knows all the bad stuff. And uh, calls me to greatness in the things of God. And what's crazy about this relationship I have with this man who speaks into my life, he's a couple years younger than I am, is that here I am. I have a bachelor's in Christian ministry. And I have a master's in administration. And David, um, he graduated from drug rehab. And he's the guy discipling me. Because that's the kingdom of God. God doesn't care about your stuff. I mean, he cares about you. Don't get me wrong. He, he cares about you guys. But he doesn't, he doesn't care. You don't impress him. 
And one thing that David shared with me once, he said, you know, most people, not all people, but most people will not turn to Christ until they reach rock bottom. Now, thank God in this place if you turn to him before you reach that spot. But can I tell you something this morning and look this way? Everyone's rock bottom is a different place. Everyone's rock bottom is different. And where your rock bottom is and where mine is, they're totally separate. And what, what my prayer is, is for us as, as people here in this congregation, is that we would turn our hearts, become desperate for him before we get to rock bottom. Because some people, as we know and you know, they'll hit rock bottom and still not turn to the Lord. It's just not a default. But the Lord in His goodness, He will let you find that spot if it will turn you to Him. He will bring you to that place where you're broken. We talked about it a few weeks ago, where you're broken so that He can actually use you. And so I read these two, about these two men here in Luke 18, and I ask myself, which one am I? Which one of these two men am I? And I have to say, at different times I've been both, right? There's been times I've been that desperate blind man. I don't have any other option but Jesus. And there's been times where I'm all right. I feel pretty good about life. You know, if Jesus, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to see Jesus do something. That'd be cool. It'd be cool to say Jesus came to town. I talked to him once. Um, I've had the unfortunate experience of being involved in a move of God. And the reason I call it unfortunate is because once you've been a part of a move of God, everything else is just bland. It's like eating the most incredible steak. I've had some pretty incredible steaks lately. And then being tossed hot dogs. And say, here you go. Chew on this. Um, ladies and gentlemen, God has moved among his people. He, he moves, it seems like he moves in every generation. And we call it revival. When God's people wake up. And I, I know enough about public speaking that I could... I could preach sermons to get people stirred up in a frenzy and get them excited. And it's so disingenuous, and I, I hate it when I see it. It bothers me. Some preachers, all they do is they get in the pulpit and they say the things they know people will amen loudly. And it's preaching to the choir, which is a pointless and fruitless act. I won't do it. I have seen God move. 
I've seen him do things in, in, in this church. Um, I'm going to need a Kleenex. I'm sorry. When I was a a young man, my dad decided um, he decided he wanted me to see a lot of places where God had moved in revival. Um, I'll tell you this: seeing seeing places where God has moved in revival is a waste of time. But talking to people who have been involved in those moves of God or their grandparents were is not a waste of time. Um, I will say, I mean, it'd be like, it'd be like you bringing someone, like you, let's say you had a really great experience in the altar last Sunday and on Tuesday you just brought someone in and say, hey, look, that's where I really prayed real hard last week. I mean, that in and of itself is, who cares about the spot? But what happened to you while you were in that spot, Right? Are you with me? And so dad, he took me all over and we saw buildings and we saw graves and we saw things, but we talked to people. Back in 1904 in Wales, there was a revival. Um, There was a revival that completely changed the landscape of the people there. They just changed the hearts of the people there. In a period of two months, 70,000 people came to Christ. Like, knew Jesus. People didn't know Jesus, and then they knew Him. Because that's the point of this whole thing this morning that I'm talking about, is us being desperate for Jesus. Not, not for Forerunner to grow, which is a really nice byproduct of Jesus moving. Well, sometimes He kills churches when He moves. I'm hoping that's not us. Um, but if it needs to be, so be it. But 70,000 people came to Christ in Wales, and, and thousands of people would go on to get saved through 1904 and 1905. It started in this, <laughs> it actually started in this little building. Um, I got to see the building once again, waste of time. It was pretty, beautiful buildings. Beautiful. Europe is a gorgeous place. I mean, I enjoyed the trip, but but this man who had been there, not been there, his grandparents had been there. And what history tells us is that one day this pastor was just meeting with the young people of his church. Just meeting with the young people of his church. Nothing big. And he was trying to get them to give testimonies of what God has done. And I thank you, sir. And as he's trying to give, get them to give testimonies of what God has done, some of them want to talk about theology. Some want to talk about, you know, things they wish the church was doing. And, and like, he keeps having to redirect them to know we're going to talk about testimonies. Which, I mean... 
we can all we've all been in those places before where people want to talk about all sorts of religious stuff but he's like no what has jesus done and this awkward silence fell on the room And finally, this young teenage girl, very soft-spoken young lady, stands up. And with a trembling voice, she just simply says, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. And then sits down and the room just breaks. People begin to weep as the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes on them. And they realize they need to do something. And this moment will be later recognized as the catalyst which starts this revival that sees thousands of people in Wales get saved. This moment, this young lady just standing up and saying, I love Lord Jesus very much. And they decide to have some youth meetings. And at one of these meetings... I'll read you some things. It says there was a man named Seth Joshua preaching at one of these youth meetings they decided to have as a result of this awakening in their youth group. And the evangelists began to pray, Lord, bend us. There was a young man there named Evan Roberts, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, that is what you need. At the following meeting, Evan experienced a powerful filling with the Holy Spirit. He said, I felt a living power pervading my soul. It took my breath away and my legs trembled exceedingly. This living power became stronger and stronger as each person prayed until I felt it would tear me apart. My whole soul was in turmoil, and if I had not prayed... I felt I would have burst. I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me. My faith was bathed in perspiration, and tears flowed in streams. I cried out, bend me. Bend me. It was God's commending love which bent me. What a wave of peace flooded my soul. I was filled with compassion for those who must bend at the judgment and i wept following that the salvation of the human soul was solemnly impressed on me i felt ablaze with the desire to grow through the length and breadth of wales to tell of the savior i think I think one thing we've mistakenly felt over the years is that when God moves, it's emotion that's the mark of a move of God. And sometimes there's emotion. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's the mark of the move of God at all. I think the mark of the move of God is the desire for other people to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Where it's so weighed upon us that that's the only thing that we can think about. And ladies and gentlemen, we're, we're doing a lot of things around here to make this, like we're, we're working on the nursery, we're working on the children's church, we're, we're, we have plans for in here, but, but guys, I could tell you, we could, 
We can redo this whole stage, and if our goal isn't to reach people with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're wasting paint and time. We can play the best songs, and if the goal isn't to introduce people to the king, then the, it, it doesn't matter. At this meeting it in Wales as God began to move. It says during one meeting a well-known skeptic of the revival that broke out interrupted Evan Roberts as he was preaching. He shouted, I want to ask you a question. Roberts ignored him. So he yelled again more angrily, I want to ask you a question. If you don't answer me, I will come to the pulpit and ask my question. So everyone ignored him. He began to make his way to the pulpit to confront Roberts. An eyewitness to the events described it like this. He said, as in the case of Saul of Tarsus, on the Damascus Road, the Holy Spirit overpowered this man, and he would have collapsed on the stairs had the people not upheld him, constraining him to cry out for mercy and pardon. What a scene followed when the people realized the full import of what happened. A shout went up. He has been saved. He has been saved. Another historian writes, courts were emptied. Saloons and bars shut down for the lack of business. Public drunkenness, this is Wales, guys, was almost non-existent. Old debts, many long forgotten, were paid off in full. And traveling theatrical agencies, this is before movies, canceled their engagements as everyone was at church. Profanity disappeared. And it was said that the, the donkeys in the coal mines were in complete confusion. They had become accustomed to responding to their masters shouting profanity and kicking them. They had to retrain the mules. But G. Campbell Morgan, he says this. He says, let no man hear of what happened in Wales and try to start it in his own land. Why? Because no man started it in Wales. We cannot produce revival. We could only pray that God would be gracious to us and send it in abundance. Some 50 years later in a little island in Scotland, the Hebrides, two elderly women sisters began to pray for God to move. God gave them a vision of hundreds of young people coming to Christ. We actually have a vision of that here at this church that has given to someone some years ago. And so they, they prayed, they went to their pastor, and they said, we feel, um, we feel like this is something that we're supposed to pray about, this vision that God has given us. And because these were known to be godly women, the pastor gathered some elders from the church. They gathered in a barn. And, and guys, we're talking like 
1950s in an island in Scotland, it, these guys were behind the times by about 30 years. So, I mean, it wasn't a nice place, not a nice barn. I've seen the place. The place didn't matter. It was the men's hearts that mattered. And they begin to pray. And they begin to pray, God, pour your spirit out. Flood your spirit on a dry and thirsty land. That was their prayer. God, pour your spirit out on a dry and thirsty land. And they called this man, Duncan Campbell, to come to the island and preach the word. And, and he showed up. He was only going to be there for 10 days. He ended up staying way, way, way longer than that. And uh, when he showed up late in that evening, they greeted him at the boat. And they said, Mr. Kimball, we know you're tired from your train ride and your boat ride, but we've gathered at the church. Would you come and speak to us? And so he goes to the church There's about 300 people gathered there expecting him to come. This is 9 p.m. He preaches, nothing happens. Nothing. And this pastor who had called these men to gather in this barn to pray, as they were about to let out service, he he saw nothing was happening. He prayed, God, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. God, you promised to pour your spirit out on a dry and thirsty land. And he just broke down on the floor and began to cry out, God, you can't fail us. And about that time, a local blacksmith came busting in the back door. He said, Mr. Campbell, you have to come. And as he walked out on the steps of the church, there were about 600 people gathered outside the church. This is about 11 p.m. at this point. And he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people began to giving their lives. And the whole island was transformed. To the point where instead of Instead of wondering who was and wasn't a Christian, there became basically like a, a most wanted list of those who had not yet surrendered their life to Christ. At one point, he was called to the jail because people began to turn themselves in for crimes they'd committed, but they wanted to pray with someone before they went inside. It's a move of God, and it's not something that you can create. I know I myself got to be part of a move of God when I was in junior high. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of weird stuff that happened. There's a lot of things that weren't God that happened. But there were so many people whose lives were changed. There's so much that was God. In this church, in one year's time, we saw 400 people give their life to Christ.
I know I myself, I was, I was, um, I'm just going through these. I apologize. I was a little snot-nosed church kid, right? Uh, maybe kind of quiet, whatever, I don't know. You can ask some of the people who are around here. But I was on my way to be a little bratty church kid. And I got to go see a move of God happen. And I was watching these baptisms happen. And these people were being baptized. And they'd put a microphone in their face and make them give a testimony before they got baptized. Which I, I wouldn't do that to any of you guys ever. I, I don't, I think it's, it's scary just to shove a microphone. In someone. It scares them, right? Like. But these guys are giving testimonies of what God had done. This lady, I was a prostitute for years. But I found God here. My life is completely transformed. I'm, I'm not doing that lifestyle anymore. And God has brought my kids back to me. And, and just this amazing testimony of what God had transformed her life. Another guy gets up there. I was an alcoholic getting drunk all the time and ruining my life. But I found Jesus, and Jesus changed who I am. I'm a new creation. And everyone would cheer, and you know, they'd dunk him. And I was a drug addict and couldn't go without drugs. And the Lord set me free. I mean, there are people getting on there. I just was a chain smoker. It's like cigarettes, and God set me free. Like all sorts of stuff. And me being the cocky little junior high church kid that I was, I mean, I can remember sitting in that balcony watching this, and I prayed a cocky prayer. Because I thought I was a good person. I said, God, you can, anything you want, you name it, and I'll give it to you. Because because I wasn't a prostitute. <laughs> uh, I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't a chain smoker. I didn't do drugs. So God, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And the Lord in his mercy, he spoke to me and he said, Drew, I want your friends. And for a middle school kid, like your friends are everything. My friends were friends that were dragging me away from Christ, right? And uh, it broke me. It broke me because I realized that I thought I was good. And there's nothing good in me. The only good about me is Jesus. And I said yes to the Lord. And it was the next hard couple of years. But you know how good God is? He brought, as, as this church moved into a time of revival, He brought teenagers into this church that loved Jesus with me and yeah they had their struggles but our pursuit was of the things of God and we grew together I mean Jamie she showed up around that time and, and, and Eddie and some of these they, they showed up and and we pursued God together And I just want God to move now.
and I can't make it happen. But I I know he does it, and I this, that's just like three revivals. If you reach back into history, there's there's so many times where God moved and transformed a nation, transformed a people. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, my sincere heart for us. I wish we'd be the rich young ruler and sell everything and follow Jesus. I wish you would sell everything. And I, I don't actually mean sell everything. I mean, if God tells you to do that, be faithful and do it. Um, but, but I'm talking like all the things that are important to us. Like I wish we would just sell out. And that's, that's my first prayers is that God... God would be gracious enough and that we would sell out to him. My second prayer is if we don't sell out, that he would blind us and make us desperate. We have no other option but him. Which means if that scares you, you might not want to come to church anymore because that's what I'm praying for you. That you would sell out or that you would become desperate. That you would hit rock bottom. Until the only thing you need is Jesus. And long are the days of long gone are the days of me trying to figure out what that looks like in your life. I'm I'm not one of the I do know this, one of the mistakes we made in the move of God I was part of is that when God moves on your life, you want to respond like out of gratitude for who he is, right? There's just this gratitude. If God is good, then I want to serve him. And so this level of holiness came upon his people. But then this idea came that it was the holiness that was making God move. So this kind of legalistic thing came upon us where we thought if we were holy enough, God would move again. <laughs> Friends, you'll never be holy enough. You know, uh, listen, it, that's, it's a cute and admirable effort on our part you'll never be holy enough i don't know what response to a word like this looks like in your life i'm just saying you be faithful what god has said to you to do like you do what god has called you to do my job is not to judge your walk with god my job is to walk with you as we pursue god that's my heart that's my goal Hey, Zach, can you come up here? In Psalms 139, it says this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous ways in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Like God, test my thoughts. Like, 
Like, test me. Where am I? Where, where are you? Can, can you, like, that's a scary prayer to pray. Because what if he does it? I would rather him test my thoughts now and reveal who I am now than, like it says in Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you. Like, yeah, you looked religious, but I didn't have any clue who you were. So I'm sorry, I know this is an awkward message. I, I know it, I get it. Uh, but as a leader and as a shepherd, sometimes you have to make choices. And for too long, I led as a boy and not as a man who knew what God had called him to do. And this morning, I'm telling you, as a leader of this house, I want to see God move, not so that we can say God is moving at FHOP, but because I have friends that don't know Jesus. I have enemies that don't know Jesus, and they need him desperately. At some point, we stop believing that eternity was a real thing. But let's forget about eternity. Some people are experiencing hell on earth right now. They need Jesus in, in this place. They need Jesus today. For life and peace today. In Jude chapter 1, well, there's only one chapter in Jude, sorry. <laughs> in Jude, starting in verse 17, it says, But you must remember, remember beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, people <laughs> devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have on and, and this is I love this. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So, so what's my response this morning? For Drew, I, all I can tell you is for Drew. I'll, I don't even mean as Pastor Drew. I just mean for Drew. For just a guy who wants to see God move. And I have no clue what it will look like. 
in Scripture. The Lord says, seek my face. And the response to that is, your face I will seek. I do know this, that if you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. You know what's really great is sometimes you'll find him even when you're not seeking him with your whole heart. I mean, look at, look at Saul, Paul, on the road to Damascus. He wasn't really looking for the Lord at all. The Lord, in his mercy, struck him blind and made him desperate. He wasn't even looking. Kind of like the blind man in Luke 18. He wasn't even looking. Jesus just happened to walk by. And he made the right response. And so for Drew, I'm going to look for the Lord. Like, I'm going to look for, for God. I'm not looking for an emotion. I might feel nothing. I, I doubt it. You guys see me up here. <laughs> I tend to be an emotional guy. Um, I'm going to look for the Lord. I'm going to tell people around me about the goodness of my Jesus. I'm going to pray a lot. I do remember, I do remember before that move of God when I was a kid, coming into this room right here, an empty shell of a barn. <laughs> and my dad just walking around this place just praying for God to move. I didn't even know really what we were praying for. I just knew my dad wanted it a lot. Now, now I have daughters, and I just want them to live through a time when God moves. And what's crazy is, is he'll move for a season, as he's done in history past, and then at some point that season will end. And then I pray we're all miserable again. I think it's funny because even when God's moving, you're miserable. Because he's just all, I know, when I was a kid, the, the prayer of that revival was more Lord, more Lord, more Lord, more Lord. It's funny because in the Wells revival, they prayed, no more Lord, no more. Because <laughs> they felt like they were going to die. They got so much of God. They would actually say, no more. No more spare us. And I, I've felt that before, that feeling of, God, no more. I, can't, I don't think I can take this. It's too much. I can't say I'm excited that if God moves again, I, I, I want to take that back. When God moves again. I know it'll look different, but I know that there's like, so much growth in the body of Christ, at least locally, that that we can actually disciple some people and grow them, 
grow them in the Lord, like in an actual real way. Instead of just being like, oh, you got saved, good luck, go have fun. Find a church to go on Sunday. It's so much more than that. And so if you've been part of a move of God in the past, I just want to say the first thing you need to do is cancel all your expectations of what a move of God looks like. Um, Because that's not it. Begin to pray for laborers to be sent for the lost. Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray that laborers be sent into the harvest. We all know people who need Jesus. They need him. They need him today. Not not on their deathbed. They, They need him today. And for us to use the platforms God has given us to preach the gospel to those around us, to give the life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because can I tell you something? Jesus has been good to me. Like, I once was lost, a snot-nosed church kid, and then I met Jesus, and I gave him every bit of me, and he transformed my heart, and then I knew who he was, and I felt grace for the first time. I felt compassion for the first time. That newness of life. And if we go across this room, there's so many of you, you have different stories. Your story is different than mine. But when the day you met Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. And if you haven't really met Jesus today, I could tell you, you could come to Jesus today, and today everything can change. Because there's life and hope in Jesus Christ. And if it really is as good as we all claim that it is, then we, as freely as we receive, we freely give. And we become these rivers of living water pouring out to people around us. So I'm miserable because I've seen God move before. And yet I'm so hopeful because if you look at history, He moves in every generation. And if our nation has ever needed a move of God, we need it now. We need it now. There's so much for us as a church to repent of. Maybe that's another sermon for another time. But this morning, just the acknowledgement of Jesus, we need you. Can we just make it so simple this morning as look for Jesus. Look for him. If, If you're not desperate for him, ask yourself why. Why? Stand with me, if you will. Can I get the whole worship team to come up? So I like good, smooth church services. I like church services that start 
like they're supposed to. Right? I like church services where the microphone works and all the lighting is awesome and the sermon is like, you walk out, you're like, Pastor Drew, like, just go listen to last week. It was really good. Uh, I like that. I enjoy that. Um, and we'll strive for that. Oh, we're going we're gonna to fix things. Like, like we're going to strive to do a good job. But if we're looking for good church services, we've got it wrong. Being desperate for Jesus. You know, Halloween was a couple weeks ago. The kids go out to get all this candy. And then your youngest doesn't want to eat dinner. Doesn't. Why? Well, they were sneaking a bunch of chocolate when you weren't looking, right? They fed themselves with stuff that just makes them sick. But man, is it so enjoyable in the moment? Can I tell you, I'm saying let's be desperate for a move of God. And if, if you're not, if even the thought of it is a little, because I'm talking about me. There's been times like, do you know how much work a move of God would be? Do you know it's, it just seems like a lot. If you're not even hungry for it, what have you been eating? What have you been feeding on? And maybe it's time to, to get rid of some of that stuff. And can I tell you, I would, I would absolutely love to like, have that conversation with you. If you're like, hey, Pastor Drew, like, we need to talk. Then we'll talk, and I'll listen, and we'll figure out. Like, I want God to move in your life, but I want to walk with you as he does. Or, or, you know, maybe not me, but maybe one of these other leaders to walk with you as he does. Like, like what if we walk together through this thing? And so that's what's on Pastor Drew's heart. It's what's been on my heart for weeks. For years I felt qualified to be a good leader and was timid and backed away. And at this stage of my life I've never felt more unqualified to like never more unqualified to lead. And yet I've decided that's what I'm going to do. And I want to lead us into a move of God where we die to ourselves so that Jesus can be exalted. Like John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. Less of me, more of Jesus. Let's do that. Will you just close your eyes and just lift your hands and hearts or... Just talk to Jesus for a second. I'm, I'm going to go after a move of God. I just want you guys to come with me.
So God, we come before you right now. God, that we would humble ourselves before you. And God, that we would do it of our own volition. But of God, if we don't, God, that you would break us until we're completely desperate for you. Too long we've been satisfied by worldly things, God. But now I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be focused on one thing, to gaze upon your beauty, O oh God, to know you and to make you known, that that would be the cry and the mission of our heart. That everything else would be secondary. Just talk to the Lord for a moment. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.